Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. This is episode 12. It's Thursday, August 3rd, already the third day of August, Chuck. We are hitting the dog days of summer. That doesn't mean we have a lot to talk about or we don't have a lot to talk about because we do. Spurs announcing a new sponsor for the naming rights to their current arena. We have the latest on the Wemby effect in San Antonio, plus Cowboys defense is wrecking practices, uh, picking off Dak almost every day, it seems like. So we're going to talk about their potential this season. We also take a deep dive into Micah Parsons, his his career trajectory, plus the latest on UTSA camp, and the trade deadline now passed for Major League Baseball. Where does that leave the Astros and the Rangers? Like I said, a lot going on. So quick reminder, you can download, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. As always, I am Matt Roy, joined by Chuck McAtinick. When Don is off, the kids will come out to play, I suppose, there, Chuck. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, let's get right into it. Uh, Spurs naming rights. So it was leaked a little earlier this week, confirmed by Don and his sources, that uh, the Spurs' current home, currently AT&T Center, will be named the Frost Bank Center for this season. He got all that confirmed. Uh, team announced it this morning. Now, the teams change stadium names all the time. That's not new pretty much at all. The interesting part is that the AT&T agreement uh, expired in 2022. They announced a one-season kind of extension, and then this year, no more extension. Now they have a new sponsor. Uh, makes me think what changed, and I think it's a seven-foot-five Frenchman. Yeah, I mean, I think that has everything to do with it, right? I mean, people were lining up to get on the bandwagon, and that's good. I mean, it's nice that the Spurs have this and are riding this momentum. So, you know, good on them. Glad they were able to secure a namings right deal. Does it seem like that's kind of a, a sign of things to come for the next decade plus that Wemby is here? Like, things that might not have happened in the past for the Spurs or things they might have struggled to do since 2014 when they were a championship team? are now going to kind of come cascading? I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to predict the future. I mean, again, I got to see what some of this stuff looks like. I mean, a lot of this feels like pie in the sky at this point. I mean, we've had some damn good ball players here over the years, Hall of Fame caliber ball players. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of hype and a lot of momentum behind Victor Wimbenyama. But are these things that everybody thinks going to come to pass? I have no idea. I mean, again, I wish I could see the future, but i got to see this guy play ball for a while and see if the hype fits what it is that we have. Tracy McGrady the other day said, look, I have no doubt that this guy's going to be a really good ball player, but I've seen seven-foot-three guys with skills before. He said, ball, ball, uh, Porzingis, you know, all the hype coming in, and then, you know, what ends up happening? I mean, there's no way to know for certain that, you know, everybody's predicting what's going to happen a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. You know, let's let's let this guy get here first and see what's actually here. I mean, it's kind of like you're playing poker and you got aces in the hole. You never know if you're going to end up winning or not, but you got a pretty good starting hand right now. There's no question, right? I mean, you'd rather have him than not have him. Yeah. And again, I mean, we've seen some things, both of us have, 
with our own two eyes that are not common that we've seen so far. But again, I mean, he's coming into a league where they got a lot of dogs and you've got the best athletes on the entire planet in one league. So let's see what happens. But still, it's kind of fascinating that they don't have a media re- or they don't have a naming deal with AT&T. They basically just let AT&T keep their name up there last year because they were a 21 ball club and they couldn't really get anybody else. And then out of nowhere, it's like, oh, Frostbank, they've been with us for so long. They've they're part of the reason that the Spurs moved to San Antonio. They're going to now be the naming rights deal. Well, why weren't they last year then? You know? It's like it, it, it doesn't exactly add up to, oh, it's just this great partnership that we've always had. It's no, you're doing this because now the Spurs are going to be really good again, probably. Well, I mean, yeah, you've got to be, you know, they got to be, it's got to be mutually beneficial, right? Especially what naming rights go for these days. And I don't know what, how much Frostbank paid to get their name stuck on the building, but I would imagine it's pretty significant. I mean, this building and possibly a future building. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that too. I mean, that, that goes back to, I got to, you know, you got to see what this stuff looks like. You know, what is it going to look like downtown? What is it going to look like when somebody comes forth with a plan, if that ever even happens? I mean, again, it's this projecting and speaking to existence. I get some of that, but I mean, there's just so many unknown variables at this point. It's hard to really plant the flag and say, this is the way I feel about something. Yeah, we're doing a story uh, today for the newscast. Our uh, reporter, Marisa Mendoza, is doing it, and she's planning to talk to some of the guys she was at the at the press conference today i'm going to be interested to see what they say whether it's yeah this is just this is just for the AT&T center now formerly the AT&T center now the Frostbank center this is just for this one building it's not going to be you know first right of refusal for any future buildings that they might have i don't know the frostbank thing it all kind of adds up to them betting on the come here kind of betting on okay we see where this is going for the spurs now Kind of like it was back in 2002 after they won that won their first championship in 99. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of momentum. Obviously, it helps. When you win a championship, you know, all the voters got behind the sales tax. And, and you know, again, you win a championship. I don't know who didn't want at the time to build something for them when they were trying to get out of the Alamo Dome. But, you know, I was in on those meetings when Peter Holt came out even before the season started and said, look, if we don't get this on the referendum this November, and this was you know early on in the year, he goes, then there's seven or eight cities that want to take us. So essentially it came down to the voters. It's like you either, it, nobody, and nobody held a gun to the voters' head. It was you either vote for this or they're going to move. If you vote it down, they're going to move. So... You know, it's it's fascinating, again, when you're winning championships and all that, and we needed a new building here. Glad we got it. At the time, we really needed it, and the Spurs really needed it, and then the rest is history. They went on to win multiple more championships. But, you know, again, this is uh, it's a different era that we're living in, and again, I guess for me, I just got to see what it looks like. For me, it's just the almost a microcosm or, or the epitome of what we're now dubbing the Wemby effect. This is just a sign of things. If he is 90%, 80% of what we think he might be, this is just a sign of things that might come to San Antonio. People are saying, "Is you said last time on the pod when we discussed this with Don, is our businesses going to flock downtown if they build this entertainment district? If this is any indication, 
I would say yeah, because I think everybody wants their little piece of the pie. There's a huge pie right now. The Spurs are trying to maximize that Wemby pie. And every little business, every Pinkertons or or, or uh, 2M Barbecue or all these little San Antonio restaurants who are staples here are going to want a piece of that pie as well. And that's that's going to happen if they have it, that downtown district and, and if they end up winning another championship in the next five years. Yep. Again, we'll just have to wait and see how it all plays out because, you know, I just don't know, you know, what is it going to look like? I mean, I hate to keep getting it back to that, but <laughs> you're going to put a minor league stadium down there and do all this other stuff. I mean, okay, great. Let's see what it looks like before we all jump on the bandwagon and say, let's go and rubber stamp everything. Let's just name it all the Wemby District and be done with it, okay? <laughs> right. Let's name them the uh, San Antonio Wembys, and we'll be fine. Right. Um, so let's get to a little bit of Cowboys talk because um, – our, our world revolves around the Cowboys, as it should. Indeed. So the defense has been the main talk of training camp so far. I mean, besides Zach Martin. We're not going into Zach Martin today because there's nothing new there. And uh, I think we're all a little Zach Martin out. So maybe next time. But defense has been the main talk of training camp so far. The guys on the defense believe that they could be a, an all-time unit. I mean, they've, they've all kind of said they've got the traits. They've got the guys. They've got the attitude to try and be an all-time unit. Let's hear a little bit of a compilation of sound, the potential of this Dallas D. In order, you're going to hear Deron Bland, then Micah Parsons, then Dan Quinn, and then we'll, uh, we'll react after. Competition is great, but uh, as far as our defense, I feel like it's real dangerous. You know, we're not balling in the air. Any, any one of us can get it. Where I think this defense could be, I think we could be up there with, you know, the 49 a great defense. You know, I think we could be up there with the Ray Lewis's of defenses. You know, I think we could be up there with the Legion of Boom. The traits are there, you know, to play really exceptional defense, leading back to the two things that I thought made it good. We're a good tackling team, right, and we're good at taking the ball away. 2000 Ravens, 2013 Legion of Boom in Seattle, 85 Bears, 23 Cowboys? Yeah, right. Are you talking about speaking <laughs> is that, is that the into list? existence, right? I mean, there's a part of me that, is really fascinated watching Micah Parsons say these things at such a young age where you can tell that he's his own man. I don't know if this is truly coming from him, a lot of this stuff that he says, or if it's being directed that he say it because he's the best defensive player that they have. But, you know, I think they've got some questions on the defensive line. Their linebacking core is really, really good. I like their DBs. I like their safeties. Are they in that ilk? Obviously, I got to see that too. I mean, it's hard to put the 23 Cowboys defense in line with some of the all-time defenses, of, or at least the, the best defenses that we've seen in the last 20 years. But if they think that, I think that's a good place to be. And I think there is something to the fact that they're putting it out there and they're putting the pressure on themselves to try to now live up to that. Because if they don't, you can imagine what's coming from the, the media and from social media and the backlash that's about to ensue if they don't. Let's think about just how good the defenses are, though, that they're trying to put themselves into that conversation with. The 85 Bears, as Mike Greenberg always says, could have probably punted on first down and won half of their games. Like, that defense was that good. The 2000 Ravens, I think, allowed one or less than 10 points in their entire playoff run. I mean, the 2000 Ravens defense was ridiculous. The Legion of Boom made the best offense in uh, NFL history look like 
children in the Super Bowl. I mean, sadly, I, I did cry during that game. It was against the Broncos. <laughs> it's fine. It was 43-8, to eight, and by the time it was 36-0, I went and took a shower so no one could hear my sobbing. But you're talking about defenses that are legendary. And last year, Micah Parsons in this defense was really good. They were, they were great. Can they, st- can they even take a step up from where they were last year? I mean, they were really good last year. And it's okay to be really good and not be historically great. But I think they, they might be putting too much pressure on themselves. I, I don't know about too much pressure. I mean, we are, after all, in training camp. But, again, I think, you know, what do they have to do as a team to go to the next level? Is it put it out there, put it on the blackboard, put it out there everywhere so that everybody can see it and hear it. Is that what's going to motivate guys to truly go all in? I mean, they could be better at stopping the run. And again, you know, they've got a little thin there on the defensive line during the course of the year. And I think that was part of the reason why they got gashed so much running the football. But, you know, obviously they can tighten some of that up. But, you know, we also have to assume that the offense is going to be a little bit better too. So I kind of like that there is some talk, but you know, again, they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves, but maybe this is exactly what they need in order to get to the next level. I mean, everybody's kind of tippy-toed around this thing. Yeah, we're good, you know, and then we'll see what happens when we get to the playoffs. I mean, when McCarthy won the Super Bowl, when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2010 under McCarthy, at the beginning of the year, they had all their championship banners hanging in championship team pictures hanging up on the wall, and then they, he, he went there the first day of training camp, and he had a slot for 2010, and he put the team picture in there. So, you know, it told the team, it's like, look, visually, this is what we expect this year. And I don't know, maybe there's something to putting that out there and then having everybody else eventually buy in and then making it happen, even with 16 guys on that team on IR that year. I mean, I still don't know how they won that title. But if the Giants come out and put 35 on them in week one or the Jets come out and put 40 on them week one or week two – that's the soundbite you're going to hear. I think we're going to be, you know, the Ray Lewis defense, the the Legion of Boom. That's the that's the soundbite that they're going to play back to back, and then they're going to be like, "Excuse me, what?" Right. Like, but I think if you're them too, you're the Cowboys. I mean, especially the guys that have been here. I mean, can it get any worse than the heat that you already take? That's fair. On a day to day basis, I mean, they are the most watched or the most visible sports franchise on the planet. What these guys have to deal with day-to-day is not common for most sports teams. So I think in that regard, you know, win, lose, or draw, they're used to the friction no matter what. Yeah, and I just don't know, I just don't know when you – the closest we've had to an all-time defense is the 2015 no-fly zone Broncos. I wouldn't put them on this. Even me as a Bronco fan, I wouldn't put them on the same level. And I still think that the Cowboys are trying to get onto that level. Like even they're not as good as that 2015, 2016 Broncos team. So you also have to have to ask yourself: Is this team going to be healthy enough? Stephon Gilmore's had been nicked up. Tank Lawrence has been nicked up. Leighton Vandrash can't play a full season, just like Sean Lee couldn't before him. Donovan Wilson's already injured. So it's going to come down to: Is this team healthy enough? And Two, do they have the depth if they aren't healthy enough? Well, it sure is fascinating to see the defense running, talking smack on the offensive camp. Too, Wasn't that it? great? Yeah, I loved it. Don, Why not? Trayvon Diggs calling, uh, using a word that we're not going to say on the pod, but it, it starts with a B to, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to uh, Dak Prescott. Times. Yeah, multiple times and then picking him off. <laughs> right. Like, 
How great is that? I love that's my favorite part of training camp. Like when I played, I was always the 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 guy that was gonna like get in someone's face and like hell hold people accountable and try and be like, you know what? You, you know, right? whatever. We're, we're teammates. We're teammates. But not today. But yeah, we're teammates except for two hours in the middle of the day, you know? Right. And so I love seeing those two things because people it always gets blown out of proportion. Oh, is there a rift between Trayvon Diggs and Dak Prescott? It's like, no, he wants to pick him off and he wants the defense to win the day. Like it's iron sharpening iron. That's what you need to see. Amen. Even though uh, the Travis Kelsey thing, when he punched, uh, well, he punched Cochran or something like that in the in the Chiefs uh, practice, and then everyone ridiculed him for it. It's like, no, punches get thrown, fights happen in training camp. They're all teammates. They're gonna be fine. Right. Uh, talking more about Micah Parsons, though, everyone in training camp this year has lauded how he looks. One how his off-season was to how his body is different and transformed, how he's gone to speak to people like Andrew Whitworth and the legends of the game to try and dominate this year. Mike is obviously one of the best at his, his position and the best in the league for that matter. When you're looking at him as a as an 11th pick in the draft, he has 26 and a half sacks in his first two years. I think he was second in the AP, All Pro, or AP Defensive Player of the Year voting last year, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think the trajectory is for, for Micah Parsons as, on his career? It sure is fun to watch. All I know is, you know, you, I didn't go to camp, obviously, but I'm looking at a lot of tape daily, and it's it's just so obvious to see how different he is compared to everybody else. And, you know, what is this going to look like in terms of dollars? I mean, if he goes up and blows up this year, like we all think he's going to, and the trajectory keeps rising, I mean, he's going to be the highest-paid defensive player in football and he will have earned all that. So, you know, it comes back to the Zach Martin thing. It's like you can't – every dollar counts right now because Micah Parsons is going to get his. He makes everybody else around him better on top of being a great player. And it seems like from the outside he cares. He's mature. He doesn't care what you think. You stick a microphone in front of his face, he's going to give you an honest answer no matter whose feather it ruffles. I mean, I remember last year in Green Bay – you know, they should have won that game. They were the better team. And the whole week seemed like it was about McCarthy. And, you know, I think to some degree, McCarthy made that week about him. There was no doubt that we're going to go up there and beat Green Bay's rear end that week because, you know, how bad Green Bay was at the time of that game. And then, you know, the, all the questions about two Micah Parsons and other players, but especially I remember Micah Parsons are like, hey, don't you feel like you let Coach McCarthy down? You know, you lost this game. He's like, man – we're grown men in here. We're, we're, we're playing to win the game. It was, we weren't even thinking about that kind of stuff to try to get revenge on a team that he was with five years ago. I mean, mm -hmm. so I thought that was pretty cool. He could have taken the easy way out and said, yeah, you know, we feel bad, but we couldn't give the coaches dish best serve cold. Right. So, I mean, is, is his trajectory, though, when you're looking at it, like Aaron Donald's been the best player in the NFL, probably pound for pound best player in the NFL for the last five, six years. Is he going to have that kind of trajectory, which is the which is kind of the ire that he's being spoken in, or is he going to have like a Demarcus Ware trajectory, which is great? I mean, you you would take that a hundred times out of a hundred, but or is he going to have more of a Tank Lawrence trajectory where he peaks for like two years and then it kind of goes back down? You know what I mean? It's like what is the what's the ceiling for Micah Parsons? And right now, I don't think there is one. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It's hard to know because you know, again, after a guy gets his second contract and we got to believe that 11 is going to get paid pretty handsomely. You don't know how much 
of the money, the fame, the fortune is actually going to take some of the dog out of him. You know, I mean, those guys like Aaron Donald, Cam Jordan, I mean, those dudes are a breed apart where you could pay them a nickel or you could pay them 50 million a year and they're still going to be all in on every play. And then their body types too, you know, wide hips, <laughs> big trunks downstairs, <laughs> you know, they, they're, their body types fit that. Not only that, it's their, their mindset. How do they do this every single day with that kind of passion and that kind of energy and throw caution to the wind? You know, right now it sure looks like it's, there is no end. And, you know, again, he says all the right things and he does all the right things, but it's hard to know once guys capitalize on their football career. I hope he doesn't want to be the highest played player in the NFL because Aaron Donald makes $31.5 million. TJ Watt makes $28 million. I know that he probably will end up getting $100,000 a year more than Aaron Donald, but I hope he doesn't just for the sake of the salary cap. <laughs> right. Um, Micah, Micah gives me that, that vibe of, of Aaron Donald. He gives me the vibe of like, I'm going to be really good. You guys know I'm really good. I'm going to go prove my crap, and then we're going to talk about this after the game, whether we win or lose. But it's uh, he's he's saying all the right things, I think, so far in, in that they, he was asked a question earlier this week or, or late last week. You know that there's an extension coming up next offseason. What kind of money are you looking for? How's the, the talks going? He's like, I don't crap about the money. I just want to win a Super Bowl this year. Everything else will play out. Like that's the attitude I want to hear, especially if I'm a Cowboys fan. Right, and I like again that he's like almost speaking some of this stuff into existence. Like the pressure is on now. I mean, these guys are literally verbalizing to the entire world that that's what they're going to do, and maybe they need this. So the only problem with that is that they're the Cowboys, and that everyone is earmarking all of these sound bites. And as soon as they lose a big game to the Giants in right. November or whatever, or if they stumble to a bad team they're gonna be like mm, really doesn't look like a super bowl team uh -huh. right so that's the only problem with them saying all this stuff is like if you were the cardinals and you were saying all this stuff it's like oh okay it's just the cardinals don't right. worry about it but these are the dallas cowboys so speaking one other thing on the uh on the cowboys really quick the last last part of that sit down that zach had with uh, jerry jones it was kind of an interesting third question um zach asked him about his focus on San Antonio and San Antonio fans being Cowboys fans. Because if you, if you walk around this city, I would say 90% of the people here who care about football are Cowboys fans. Like that's something I quickly learned when I moved here is that it's not Texans. It's not anybody else. It's Cowboys fans. And then everybody else, San Antonio, a long time Cowboys stronghold, what you're doing here, you're really building up and we, you know, may not see another camp in San Antonio again, but what do you say, what, what's the relationship with the Cowboys fans and how do you keep that going in San Antonio? I have always thought that we had the same percentage of Cowboy fans in San Antonio that we have in Plano or downtown Dallas. And I know that to be the case. And that's why for years, I wanted to have our camp there in San Antonio. And so we continue to go and solicit and get San Antonio uh, fans to come and be a part of us at AT&T Stadium. Uh, San Antonio is vital to the Dallas Cowboys and got a lot of pride in it. And uh, so we want to always maximize our exposure. And of course, that's why we love you being here. Uh, but uh, they're great Cowboy fans. 
uh, I've always um, uh, uh, tried to uh, exploit that, but take advantage of that. And so, uh, again, I uh, appreciate you guys being here. That right there is the exact reason that San Antonio will never have an NFL team. Yeah, I think it's bigger than that. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. I know Jerry gets all the hate that oh, the NFL will never allow something like that to happen here. But the bottom line is you got to get more money here. The city's got to grow. I mean, they're talking about having a team permanently in London. Again, you stick a team in London, then that elevates the price tag on every single NFL team. But the reality is there's a lot of moving parts with that. There are a lot of Cowboy fans. I mean, we've always thought about that, you know, like when the Saints were very, very close to moving here. It's like, what do you do as a Fox affiliate when now, if this happens, you're going to have Saints games on at the same time, same time Cowboys games on, and you've got to pick. And obviously, if that's the hometown team, you've got to now show the Saints, you know, what's that going to look like? And, you know, how many dollars are you losing? You wonder what happens in Fox and Houston. you got a Houston team in there that if they're – you know, you've got the Cowboys on on Fox, but, you know, how does that look like? Are you, know, you're making as much money or more money on the Cowboys in Houston than the Texans are if they're on on CBS that week? I mean, there's a lot of Cowboy fans everywhere, not just in the state of Texas. It's everywhere. So, I mean, their brand and the fact that Jerry speaks of San Antonio and that ilk is he endears himself to the community, too. He thanks Zach for being there and, you know, the company's spending money to send him there. So, you know, again, it's a... It's a broad question when you're talking about not ever having an NFL team here. Who knows what that would look like if you did have an NFL team here at some point. But, yeah, there's no question right now. It's good for business, and he's not only dominating the state, he's dominating the country. You've been here for a really long time. You went to high school here, and you've been working at the station for a really long time and working in San Antonio a long time. Has it always been like this? Even when before they were winning Super Bowls in the 90s and all that stuff, has – have San Antonio fans always been Cowboys fans? Yes, I mean, because again, it's now you're talking generational, right? You got the Landry Cowboys in the 70s that were winning and always really good. And the team mantra from Tech Shram there was, you know, how can we build the brand, not just in Dallas, but everywhere? You know, they had their games piped into Phoenix, into Arizona. They had flagship stations all through the Southwest. And so now you're talking about people that grew up in Arizona that didn't have a football team that were getting the Cowboys on the radio on game day. And so, you know, again, it was basically try to conquer the universe, even in the seventies. And that was something that Jerry gives a lot of credit to from the previous ownership group was that this is what their plan was to not only dominate Dallas, but to dominate the entire region. And, you know, you get NFL films to go in along with it, make a documentary called America's Team, and now all of a sudden you're branded that. And if people grow up with that messaging in their brain, all of a sudden here you are. And it was like right when they were branded America's Team, they won three Super Bowls. And then since then they haven't, but they've always been. Jerry has done the best job of any owner in sports that I've, that I've seen at least of selling his team, of getting his team the national spotlight, of, of getting on talk shows. He's not one of those owners that alienates the media. He wants the media there. Right. He cra he, not that he craves it, but he knows how to exploit the media almost to get their name, the Cowboys' name, his name, everybody's name in the papers and get them talking about them because they know that the publicity is going to help. Well, you played the soundbite, right? He used the word exploit. Yeah. So it's he's literally a modern-day P.T. Barnum where – 
Again, the adage is, I don't care what you say about me, good or bad, the fact that you're talking about me means you're talking about me as opposed to talking to somebody else or talking about somebody else. I mean, Stephen A. Smith on ESPN has made a killing on social media, on his show, and even the Cowboys want Stephen A. crapping all over them. Like, that's all he does is laugh when the Cowboys lose and he gets millions and millions and millions of views on YouTube or on ESPN or whatever. It's insane how how good Jerry and their PR team is at selling the Cowboys. It's basically an open room. You've been there. I mean, how many teams at any level can you walk into a clubhouse, even when they say it's quote-unquote open, and go get whatever you want? Yep. And nobody's stopping you or doing anything? It's, it's a reporter's dream. They make sure, you know, again, we were talking about this yesterday. Jerry still has seats on the team plane reserved for local media in Dallas to have at least one seat. They can put a camera guy or a reporter and they fly for free to and from the game. How many teams are doing that? None. They I, don't want you in on the game. To that point, I was shocked when I was there on Christmas Eve. They played the Eagles. It was I mean, they were happy because they won the game. I was shocked at how open and every single player in that locker room knows it. Knows that the media is coming in. Jerry talks that he's the only owner that talks in after every game he's the only gm that talks after every game right out in front of the locker room and then media is allowed in go get who you want if you want the guys at the podium or if you want the guys that are just going to be in front of the star go get him if you want a guy at his locker go get him if you want a one-on-one with tyler biotish like i got go get him they want everybody to be available and some players will say no some players won't but it's just amazing to me the the scope and and how he has branded that team and taken over a city and their fandom four and a half hours away from them. Right. And then you look at, you know, the top 100 television shows, two years running, the top five are all Dallas Cowboy games. So, I mean, you know, we get the hate. It's like, how can we not run more Texans, who, by the way, won't even let us shoot their practices? You know, so this is, this is what you're up against. I mean, you're up against a juggernaut that's not just – you know, the Dallas Cowboys and the Metroplex that we're giving shine to, or even in the state of Texas, this is a global brand. And we're lucky enough to be only four and a half hours away. And, you know, we can piggyback on some of that and hopefully get more eyes on our products because of them. And you, I mean, last thing on this, because I, I mean, it's just so fascinating to me, but you did a story on the equipment managers. Did you face any resistance from them about doing a story about the equipment managers? No, we got, no, not just talking to them, I mean, we set it all up. We had a little bit of trouble with uh, Mike McCord, not trouble, just trying to schedule it because I was late getting there the time we were supposed to do it. Then the next time I was up there, he had something he had to do. So it took us a while to, to finally be able to sit him down. Uh, there was, we didn't have as much access as we'd been granted before, but there's a lot of moving parts around the league with trying to protect uh just the, the image of the league in terms of, you know, player safety and, you know, what they're doing with concussions. And then, you know, obviously there's some other things that have happened with player health that they, you know, they would just rather you not be doing some of these kinds of stories right now. But, but none of it from the Cowboys PR staff of being like, no, don't shoot that. Don't get this. Don't do that. Actually, really? actually no, I, I didn't even go to the PR exactly. staff. I went right to the guys and said, hey, do you mind we do this? Let's do it. Exactly. So, See, that's that's the right, point. Right. <laughs> like like some some other PR staffs want to micromanage you and then but the the culture that Jerry and Steven have, right. have cultivated there, it's just like, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, get what you I, want. I had one incident with the, the new PR guy too, and I didn't know this. Jack was telling me about this. I was in the clubhouse for one of the mini camp sessions and Micah Parsons was just sitting there and it's an open room. And uh, so I went up to him because I wanted to know about the whole number zero thing. Cause I, you know, was trying to find out what's going on with that with J Ron curse. I was just for you know certain with that was going to be a softball question to start off. Hey dude, you're going to get the number zero. How come you're wearing 27 today? And then he goes into this, uh, you know, I think I'm going to be 27 in the fall. It's like, Oh, okay. There's something there. And then I saw that, you know, okay, maybe they're going to give it to Micah. So Micah, as I found out later, was not going to talk to the press today, but there was nobody around him. And I'm like, dude, you're getting zero. And Micah goes, no, I think the Cowboys have something planned for that number. And then, I made another comment to him and I said, oh, they're going to give it to DeMarvion Overshown. And he just kind of looked at me like, uh, no. So, <laughs> but at, anyway, the PR guy said to Jack, he goes, hey, who the heck is that guy? Like I'd basically broken some sort of protocol. And then I got done. I was like, hey, dude, I didn't mean to make anybody mad. He's like, no, we're just going to hold him for next week. And uh -oh. he's going to address the group. But it's like, you know, that's okay. I mean, it was one of those, <laughs> you ask for forgiveness as opposed to asking for permission. And, you know, he, all he he was just a little mad that I kind of went into the, the the new territory around Micah Parsons, right. but again, it there it was really much ado about nothing. Okay, the Cowboys are just endlessly fascinating. We could do, talk about them all week, and we usually do. But right. let's get to uh, some UTSA football. So they got their second day of camp underway today, but we could talk about UTSA and the, their prognostications and 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 predictions for their records and all that stuff. Really, until the cows or the Cowboys. But it's come home. Um, but I really want to focus on Frank Harris. Don did an interview with Frank on Sunday, and Frank revealed a lot about his health status this offseason, even saying he almost quit football because of his knee and his shoulder and all the surgeries he's had. So let's hear from Frank and a little bit of that interview and then hear from Jeff Trailer, who talked about it at Media Day as well. Tell folks about the, the adversity you've gone through this offseason. Um, well, it was bothering me kind of the whole season. Um, at the end of the season, I decided to have a, a scope surgery um, in January. And it was getting better, and then it just wasn't feeling right. It still was bothering me. So I decided to have another surgery in February. Went in, did that. Um, and it was good. Everything was good so far. And about two or three weeks in, I don't know what happened. My knee just locked up on me and got real swollen. Um, my parents had to come stay with me. And my mom was telling me if I keep, you know, going through all this pain, she's going to take me to the ER. Go to the ER, get admitted to the hospital. I'm in the hospital for about two, uh, two or three days. Um, they had to do emergency surgery while I was in the hospital. Um, and then after that, I, I ended up going home. I was on bed rest for like two or three weeks. Um, my parents had to stay with me. I couldn't do anything by myself. It was, you know, the worst time of my life. So April comes around. I go back under. I didn't have a, I didn't have a procedure. Um, they just go manipulate my knee because I lost all my range of motion. Um, so that that was that. And then a new doctor comes in, and I have another surgery uh, in April to to clear everything out. And um, it's been a long journey for sure. Uh, I had seven knee surgeries in my left knee alone. Uh, two on my right knee alone and uh, one shoulder surgery. So I had 10 surgeries since high school. Yeah. In football. And football. you still want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the game and I love everything, you know, that comes with it. You know, Frank's unique. That's where I was gifted. Uh, that's the quarterback I got uh, when I got to San Antonio. And, uh, you know, I think his story is what makes him so unique. I don't know if anybody really knows all the surgeries the kid's been through. You know, he's had five knee surgeries. He's had two shoulder surgeries. Uh, he really appreciates the game of football. Uh, when he takes the practice field, every single practice, he takes a knee and he prays. He goes through practices, practices tail off. He's the last one to leave. He takes a knee and he prays. He's really grateful 
to play the game. His smile is authentic, it's real. He's raised by an amazing father, an amazing mother, and uh, I'm the luckiest coach in the world. He's magic. As long as zero's back there behind the center, uh, we got a chance. It doesn't matter how much time left in the ball game. And this is not just some coach talk up here. This is like factual. Like you've got three years of video if you want to go back and fact check uh, some of this coach talk that comes on behind this podium sometimes up here. So, I don't, I, Chuck, you've been here the whole time. Where would UTSA football be without Frank Harris? I think they'd be good, but not great. I mean, and they've been great. I mean, how many teams win 12 games a year like they've done? I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see, you know, even with all of the injuries and all the tribulations and trials that he's been through as a football player, there's so many things that that guy does to elevate the entire room. I mean, he's the first guy there, the last to leave. He's a winner. He wears it on his sleeve. He makes others better around him. And, you know, it's almost like Dak, you know, for everything that everybody says that he's not, there's so many more things that he is. And it's a lot of stuff that you can't see. He's just, I mean, not only that, I mean, he's just a good dude. You know, when he's not doing football stuff, I mean, how visible is he in the community? Always giving back. He'll show up at other guys' camps. He'll have his own stuff going on. He's just always there. And, you know, we were talking about this the other day. He's going to make a great mayor someday or the head of a CEO. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to follow Frank Harris wherever he's going? I mean, just a solid, solid citizen. Parents are really good people, too. You could tell they taught him well and, you know, a lot of different things. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, Oregon was going to give him a million dollars, dude, to leave, to leave. And he's like, no. I mean, obviously, they're. He's getting a little something here with the NIL stuff, but it's nowhere on the scope of a million dollars. And how many guys would not take the money and run, especially when you're talking about how many surgeries this guy had and mm -hmm. how many, how fleeting all this is? Just a lot of respect for a very, very mature young man. Well, when he hobbled off the field uh, in the in the bowl game against Troy. I thought that was his last game. I don't think any of us really expected him to come back for another game. I mean, he's going to be 24 years old now. I mean, he seems like he's 40, but right. he seems like he's been here for eight years. But, I mean, I think this is the sixth that he's going to be going into. I just don't understand. I don't, I don't know where this program would be in their 12th year of, of having football if they didn't have him, one, if they didn't have Jeff Trailer two. I mean, they went from the inception of this program in 2011, I think, to crawling, walking, running, sprinting now into their second conference in AAC play in less than 12 years, which is just unfathomable from a, a program that was in its infancy and born just le oh, just over a decade ago. Right. I mean, and I think to your question you know it, there's a broader point here to make is that they've got a lot of guys like frank in the right spots i mean rashad wisdom's the same kind of dude on the other side another guy that's had a bunch of surgeries you know everybody says undersize this and all that what, who wouldn't want rashad wisdom on your team for all of the same things i just said about frank harris plus rashad will take your head off too when <laughs> you know it's it's a saturday ball game and you know they've had a lot of guys though i mean it's the you know the the Joshua Cephas's of the world that also had an off-season surgery. You know, J.T. Clark, these guys are pro prospects and the same kind of vibe when you get around these fellas. And, you know, I could go on and on about 
there, there's other guys. You talk to Kavorian Barnes, the, the running back, freshman running back, talking to him after they clinched to go, you know, clinch Conference USA last year. I was like, I thought I was talking to a 40-year-old dude how mature he was. I mean, just bigger picture, not about me. It's glad I could contribute. Glad we won. I mean, all the right things. It's because these younger guys see how the older guys that they've had how they handle themselves. The best players are the best people. Well, that's going to resonate with some of the younger guys. The Trey Moores of the world. I mean, there's another kid, you know, as good a kid as he is ball player. When you've got these studs that are really elite level humans on top of it, it really is about the culture. And yeah, of course, Coach Trailer deserves some of that. And Frank Wilson before him as well, recruiting these kind of kids. When I was, uh, when I was playing football, um, my first D1 offer was from UTSA, and this was back in like 2016 when they were really, really bad. And so I got offered uh, and was about to fly out for a game, and then I didn't end up going because we had a game that week too, so kind of I couldn't really do it. But our season got done, their season got done, the entire coaching staff got fired because I think that was the season they went over in Conference USA. They brought in a whole new staff and cleaned house. I think that staff was, was trailer, but um, they cleaned house and then they rescinded my offer. So I always had some like resentment towards USDSA, but since I've been here, I'm kind of, since I've moved here, I'm, I've kind of been jealous that I never, that I didn't get to come to UTSA because of the, the culture that they have built here. I mean, right. it's, it's kind of insane how quickly you can build something and have people want to be a part of it. Like the, all the players that you mentioned, Florian Barnes, Trey Moore, JT Clark, Sakari Franklin left, but I mean, he contributed more than enough to this program while he was here. You have all these guys who have bought in and who have put this put this program on on a map and and built something that I think all of them can be proud of. Frank Harris is going to be a San Antonio Sports Hall of Famer. He might even be a Texas Sports Hall of Famer. I mean, he's he's that kind of guy who's who's San Antonio through and through and will always be San Antonio through and through. Even if he left, even if he went to Oregon and transferred, I think that the city and UTSA and us, we all would have still had admiration for him because of what he's contributed to the program, the city, and really um, everything he's done. Yeah, agree. And, then, you know, how can I forget Spencer Burford? Here's a guy that could have right. gone practically anywhere he wanted coming out of high school, decided to go – to UTSA because he wanted to be a part of something that was on the come up, then could have gone pro and said, no, nope, the pros are going to be there when I get there. I'm going to go come back for my senior year to win a conference title, which he did. And, you know, not worried about money, not worried about the fame and the accolades at the NFL level. I mean, Spencer Burford, I mean, this is the kind of kids they're recruiting. I mean, guys that are selfless, yeah. I mean, to the point of almost to their own detriment. Well, to that point, one of my, and this will be the last thing on UTSA before we get to some Rangers talk, because like last time, we're going a little longer than I intended. But um, after the, the Cowboys played the Niners and they lost that game, obviously Zach and our um, photographer, Jack Green, the in incomparable Jack Green, um, were there and they went and they got all the sound from the Cowboys guys. And then they were like, okay, let's try and go get Spencer. He's the offensive lineman over, at, uh, over for the Niners. So they went into the locker room and you couldn't see it. Jack had his had his camera on and you could kind of hear what was going on, but you couldn't really see what was going on. You could hear as soon as Jack and Spencer like locked eyes, Spencer lit up and he was like, Oh my God, how are you? What are you doing here? Oh my gosh. I didn't think I was going to see you guys or any San Antonio media. It was just like, it showed me how 
thankful and how mature and how amazing all of these guys are. It's just a really cool. I don't even know if Jack remembers that, but it's just like. I oh was, yeah, he'll was, never forget that kind of stuff. I was listening. That goes a I, long way with. I him. was listening to it, and I was just like in awe of how an NFL player who came from Little UTSA, who is a really good NFL player now, like he right. he is making a name for himself, just took the time and was so happy to see a photog from San Antonio. Like it's just amazing to me. I, I you just gotta like guys like that, and of course, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? have that make that feel good if they had that happen to right. them right but it's the whole 210 thing that you know i think a lot of us have been preaching for a long time it's like man let's build a fortress around this area code and you know just hunker down on what's going on here what is it that makes this city great what is it that makes it such a great sports town and it's not just because of basketball it's because of all these different things and i think these 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 young guys, all of them, not just the UTSA players that are from here, but all the guys that have gone on, the Trey Flowers of the Worlds, the uh, uh, Vincent the, the uh, Taylor of the World, Marcus Davenport's of the World, the 210 means something to them. Even to somebody like Vincent Taylor, who was a Katrina kid, moved here, but because of how everybody made him feel warm and welcome when they were fleeing all that stuff that was going on in New Orleans, how everybody kind of took him in and, you know, these guys speak lovingly about, you know, Trey Flowers talks about how boring old San Antonio, just the way we like it. I mean, we know because we're from here and we do this and we live here and you, you get the vibe that's going on here. And it's kind of cool that these guys are taking that mentality and, you know, kind of spreading it out everywhere and letting everybody else see what's going on down here. I said it right when I moved here. This is the littlest big city you'll ever see. It's the, the community around it is incomparable in my in my opinion I, I haven't been to all the big cities but i know that this one is is pretty unique and you you get it right away right you yeah. get here and it's like me i was a military kid i lived everywhere but this literally was the only city i ever lived in that felt like home yep. and i you can't explain it but yeah if you live here you know right uh let's get to a little bit of baseball uh the Rangers just threw their first pitch, which means Max Scherzer just threw his first pitch right, as, a, as a Ranger. So we saw a wild tra trade deadline. We saw a familiar face in Justin Verlander coming back. Uh, luckily, that means Kate Upton's coming back to Texas, too. So right. I think we're all uh, thankful for that. She's about as tall as you, by the way. <laughs> she, she's very tall. She's more beautiful than all of us put together as well. So uh, the Rangers... Speak for yourself there, Maddie. Uh, okay. <laughs> The Rangers got Max Scherzer, Jordan Montgomery, Chris Stratton. Don't forget they got Araldis Chapman as well. Uh, they got a catcher to keep up uh, while uh, Jonah Heim is out. So, Chuck, um, thoughts on it? the AL West now? Love it. <laughs> I mean, this was my hope at the beginning of the year. It's like, okay, the Rangers are all in. They're going out and getting guys like Evaldi and really fortifying the roster. You know the Astros are going to be good. I think the surprising part to me is that the Astros have been really good this year despite an infinitesimal amount of injuries. So isn't this great that the Rangers go get Scherzer, that the Astros reacquire Justin Verlander? I mean, it's going to be a fight to the bloody finish. we got two months of this, and every single day wondering, you know, the Astros won early yesterday or on Wednesday, and then the Rangers have to come back and – you know, win a game later that night, or they're going to be, you know, behind them in the standings. I mean, this is so good for baseball in their state. And 
you know, kudos for both teams for going in. I mean, it's going to help. You can't have enough juice to form this rivalry or to make it even bigger than it already is. This is going to be a lot of fun for a lot of years. The only reason I'm really mad at it is they only have three games the rest of the season against each other, and that early September series is going to be incredible if it's still this close. Sadly, um, Max Scherzer's not doing very well right now in the first inning. Is he getting lit? (laughs) He's getting lit up a little bit. Uh, Uh. Two outs, top top of the first. They're already allowed three runs. Um, But either way, the the arms race literally uh, was fascinating to watch at the, at the trade deadline because I just kept watching. I was like, okay, are the Astros going to try and make this move? And then they trade for Verlander, and I'm like, all right, here we go. They really are all in right now. I also thought it was interesting that the Astros traded for two guys, two guys they know very well and Kendall Graveman and, and uh, Verlander. I think that kind of shows you the the culture that they have as well that they wanted guys that they're familiar with, they wanted guys with championship experience, and they wanted guys that everyone is comfortable with knowing that Altuve, Bregman, Pena, Alvarez, everybody can kind of rally around each other and the guys that they had last year. Well said. I mean, I think that's been the key to them, right? I mean, given all the injuries that they've had to their staff, to their position players, and you know, we even talked about if they get Uncle Mike back here at some point. they There is something about the some of the parts being greater than all of that put together. And the Rangers do kind of feel like it's a hodgepodge thing going on where they're just grabbing pieces and trying to plug them together. However, those are some really good pieces that they brought together. And it's not to say that they can't end up meshing as well as the Astros have, you know, including all the guys that they seem to have coming up. I mean, Chaz McCormick is playing out of his mind right now. Yep. I mean, he had all three of the ribeyes last night. So, you know, it's a hard thing to see how it's all going to play out because the Astros have that winning DNA that's at the sub-subatomic level. There's something about the culture and what they've been able to cobble together here over the last decade that means a little more sometimes than just having a bunch of names and guys that can play baseball. Maybe it's because I've seen it most recently, but the feeling I get about this race is that the Astros are going to run away with it. That's just the feeling I get, especially after after the trade deadline. I think it was the day of the trade deadline. What did they go out and do? Framber Valdez goes out and throws, throws a no-hitter just to remind everybody, you know what, we might have Verlander back, but I'm still the ace here. Darn right he is, man. That was one it was incredible. performance, right? Incredible. But it's like that's the, that's the kind of feeling I get around this AL West race. It's like they've cut it to a half a game now. I feel like by the time that that series ends in early September, it's going to be a 5-6 game lead for the Astros. It could be very well that that's the way it plays out. I mean, I think that this is, though, going to tell us all we need to know about this Rangers team. I mean, if they fold and they end up crumpling under all this, then they probably wouldn't have done much anyway once they got to the postseason. If they can hold off the Astros, I mean, how galvanized are they going to be when they get to the postseason? So it's going to be fun to watch, but that's that's why we're going to watch. I mean, I let the games begin. Bruce Bochy te- teams don't usually fold, though, so it's going to be kind of weird to see how Bochy um, brings them back if they if he does see like maybe a four-game losing streak or, or they lose a big series or something like that. How does Bochy kind of galvanize the – galvanize the people as a three-time World Series champ himself. 
Yep, he does have those skins on the wall. It's hard to forget that. Lots of skins on lots of walls. Yes. I think that's all we got for you guys tonight. Uh, 50 minutes of everything you need to know. So, quick reminder, you can uh, get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And on YouTube, YouTube version has some video elements of all the sound bites. I'll go edit that one right now for your viewing pleasure. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Re-rate, re-review, give us five-star rating and some feedback. Feedback is a gift. We will be back next week for some more Cowboys, Spurs, and um, pretty much everything else that is under the sun because sports are in full swing, baby. We'll be back next week on the Sneakers and Cleats podcast. See you then.